Yasas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Daggerty's Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. Today we're going to talk about icons, what icons are, why they're so important in Orthodox Christianity, and how we use them to enhance our religious practice. Guest Georgia Doulakis recently participated in the parish St. John Chrysostom Oratorical Festival and won first place in the junior division, presenting a speech on how icons are central to our faith and Orthodox practices. She explained how and why icons are not only an essential part of our church life, but of our everyday lives. Hi, Georgia. Thank you so much for coming because I have been asked before what an icon is, and I've always been taken off guard and not been able to explain myself, and I thought your speech really explained it beautifully. So can you start us off by explaining what an icon is? Because the non-Orthodox aren't sure. So the word itself primarily means like image, likeness, representation, and everything along those lines. Physically, it is, you know, a wood painting, but religiously, it represents, you know, the people of our faith and people who came before us, Mm -hmm. who practice our religion and, you know, things like that. The the saints. Um, You said something to me the other day, um, and I wish I could remember exactly what you said, but I said to you, oh, I wish we could, like, show people the icons as we were talking about it. And you said by describing it, just by describing it, we're engaging the senses. And I thought, oh, wow, it's like, it's like reading a book and you get an image in your mind from the words. You're not seeing anything, you're seeing it in your mind. Um, and that's kind of the same thing. And I've read repeatedly that icons are not, they don't consider them actually painted, but written so that they are kind of telling a story. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that works and i don't know if you want to bring the color into it or the items that we see in the icons well that also kind of connects with one of our points about visual stimulation Mm -hmm. when you look at an image of something Mm -hmm. you process it your brain processes it a lot faster than you will words so like if you're looking at an icon you'll immediately get that sense of like connection or like feel an emotion that you might not when you're just reading words? I feel like that's the kind of person I am. Even if I'm looking at instructions, how to put something together, it makes more sense to me. And it is true that the Orthodox icons, which are different than Western icons, like for the, say for the Catholic Church, I do get that sort of emotional feeling. The messages that are coming across in the icons, I mean, people can walk in and say, those are really strange looking. They don't even look like people. Let's talk about the setup of the icon and how it, how it does pull us in. So one of the most important things about icons that is more an older tradition than nowadays, icons were actually all meant to be painted in 2D because it was, again, meant to symbolize that we are not like worshiping. These icons, we are not worshiping a different person than the Lord. We are simply using them and praying to them to grow our connection with the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a lot of people don't know that because when you look at it head on, there's so much detail in it. You don't really like realize. But if you look at it very closely and you look at the hand placement and the way their heads are, it's a 2D picture. There's no three-dimensional objects in it. Right, and anything that's in the background, it doesn't recede. You don't get that perspective that you do with the great masters who are painting everything in, in perspective. Everything is right there on top of it. So you're right, it's, it is 2D. It's not supposed to be a person that we're looking at. It's supposed to be sort of the representative of a person. And you mentioned uh, to me before, almost like a photograph. And our former priest, uh, Father Peter Tsutsis, once explained it to um, another pastor that he was talking to, who was from a Protestant church, and said, when I'm away from my children, I bring their, their pictures with me, and I can look at them and, and think about them and remember them and love them and maybe kiss the photo and say, oh, that's somebody that I really love, and, and the memories and the emotions and whatever are all there. So that sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Which, really, that's exactly what icons are meant to do. Mm-hmm. Because they're supposed to, they almost bridge the gap, because it's very difficult to believe in something you can't see. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to believe in something that you have no physical proof of. Mm-hmm. But icons are kind of meant to bridge that gap of the seen and the unseen. Mm-hmm to give you that little boost in your faith to be able to wholly believe in the Lord. And obviously it's okay to question your faith. That's how you know you're believing because you are questioning, you're asking questions. But icons kind of help aid you in that belief so you don't feel quite so like there's no evidence, there's no proof. How do I know what I'm believing is even like in existence? Right, because the icons are representative of people who did live, who did exist, who suffered. Uh, for the religion, or who did wonderful things for our religion, so we can look at them, and it's almost like, like reading a guidebook of the hierarchs and the different saints who have gone through life, who brought us to where we are now. Tell us about the different colors in theology and what they represent, because we had discussed before also how at the time when icons were first being painted, people were illiterate. Talk to us a little bit about that and how the the icons worked for people who were illiterate. And we're talking about illiteracy. I had aunts who could not read or write in Greek, never mind in English. So for them, the icons were, were their guide through the church. And you really talked about that beautifully. So during the time that the, even the Bible was being written, Many, many people were illiterate. There were actually very few people that could read and write well enough to be able to wholly understand and interpret the stories of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of the icons, it's not just the saint. There's a background, there's scenery, there's other people in them sometimes too. So that you can, it's like a storybook. It's like a storybook, but in drawings instead of writing. Mm -hmm. And people use that to understand and interpret what the Bible was trying to tell them. And it's also important to remember that they're not only used for aesthetic purposes, Mm -hmm. right? They're not just pictures that we hang up on the wall and are like, oh, this is so beautiful. It goes so nicely with blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of religious significance 
and a lot of personal significance for a lot of different people. So that kind of is why a lot of Orthodox Christians, especially some of the older Orthodox Christians, refer to icons as theology in colors. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's not simply an art form used in or by the church. Right. It is guiding us in our faith. I know that my aunt was able to identify the different saints. She, had, she didn't just have a, an Econostasi, which was like the, the home altar. She had a little room in the back of her apartment with these huge icons, and she was able to identify them because she could not read their names. She was able to identify them because of how they were dressed or because of objects they held or because of those objects in the background that showed part of their story. And I think the same is true of children. Um, I'm sure you were like me as a child. You sat in the pews and you were looking at the icons. And it is sort of like looking at a storybook while the sermon is going on or the, the chanting is going on, which as kids we don't pay as much attention to. It's sort of background. Talk to us a little bit more about that. You started to talk about, you talked about the uh, theology and colors. The colors actually have meaning in many ways. Uh, in in the icons. So I'm not too well versed in that specific subject, but I do know there are a lot of like certain colors can mean like purity and like holiness. And I know there's a lot of different things of that incorporated Mm -hmm. into icons. But there are also a lot of like when I was doing research on this, I found that there is a lot of different meaning for a lot of, you know, different colors. It's so, like, I don't know really any of them off the top of my head, but it is like very, like there's very specific things, different shades, stuff like that. I wrote a couple down because I knew I would not be able to pull them off the top of my head. Blue is humanity and red is divinity. And these were the ones I found really interesting because when you see the Theotokos, uh, the mother of God, um, she has blue is her main garment because blue is humanity and then she has red over that because she became divine whereas christ is seen with the red he is divine and the humanity over it because he became human so i was not aware of that until i heard your speech and then i looked to see oh what do those colors mean so i feel like i'm learning a lot about my religion goar calls them the physical incarnation of god As you said, we don't see God except in actions, in people, and how people behave. And then we see those stories within the icons. You had someone very special to you, Father uh, Seraphim. And so the icon of Saint Seraphim is very important to you. I can talk for hours about him and his story, but Mm. I'm going to shrink it down a little bit because we don't have that kind of time. But... Father Seraphim, he was a very big figure in the church, obviously. He was our priest. His memorial actually just passed a few Sundays ago. Um, Memory eternal. He was a very, very important figure in my life. Because from a very young age, I'm very easily distracted. And he used to always explain things and explain our religion in a way that even when I was young, I could relate to and I could understand Mm -hmm. and just like as a person in my life he was very prominent in my childhood he was a very important person to me Mm. and when he passed I was actually in Cyprus 
so I couldn't attend his funeral. Oh, yeah. And I cried for days. I was so upset. But when we got back, my mom was like, look, go to the bookstore and choose an icon and pray to him through that icon. And there was one icon of St. Seraphim. Oh, wow. And I took the icon. I was like, I have to get it. So we bought it. And it still hangs in my bedroom. And to this day, whenever I feel upset or even just disconnected with my faith, I look at that icon and I pray and I talk to him like I'm having a conversation with him mm. because it really helps remind me that I we are still in our faith and even though things get hard, your faith can always help pull you out of that. Mm-hmm. So that icon had so much meaning to me and it helped me in such a difficult time. So I think it's really important that we all have these connections and we find these connections Mm -hmm. because they can really help us grow in our faith. And using this experience was actually the reason I wrote this speech. Wow. Because it was so intriguing to me how you could feel such connection to, you know, a picture. Mm Mm-hmm. But I did a lot of research after, and I found so many interesting things that I never would have known had that not happened. Mm -hmm. So I am very thankful for that experience and for him and all the things that he did for me throughout my life. Wow, that's beautiful. It's like it it just led you along a certain path. I had an icon as a teenager. Um, I had a a knee injury, and uh, the great aunt who couldn't read anything had a friend drive us into New York to the, the Church of St. Irene, had me get down on my knees, which I wasn't able to do with my knees, um, and I was able to go through the entire service. And it was, They were old calendars, so the service was extremely long. And I brought that icon home with me, and I had much less pain in my knees after that. And it, this little tiny icon hung on my wall. I took it with me every time I moved when I got married. And then finally, um, a friend's son was in a very bad car accident and I passed it on to her and it stayed with him by his bedside. So one of my kids then bought me a larger wooden painted, this was like a little metal, almost like a medallion that I had, uh, painted of St. Irene and that has a very prominent place next to my bed because I felt like she influenced my life from the time that I was a teenager and then enabled me to to pray for this person who had gone through a, a lot of physical pain that he would come through okay so i i really understand that and this is why the um in the family home is so important yes so especially my grandmother she has like a whole equanastasium there's probably hundreds of icons in there I love your it's it's really beautiful and they're all unique in their own way some of them are on stone some of them are on wood some of them are on metal mm-hmm. and you look at that and you can look at each icon and it's like you're reading a, like a thick storybook. Mm. You're going through and it's like you're living these scenarios, these stories with them. And when I was younger, she always used to sit me down in front of an icon. She'd tell me their whole life story and I'd be like, yeah, yeah I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I don't want to <laughs> do this. And she would go, just listen. You'll take something from it. And I found that as I got older, I really did. I now feel like I know so much more because of these stories, because of these icons that we had in our house, that they were 
hanging on the walls and in her Gonastasio and in the kitchen, the living room. They're everywhere and they're such a prominent part of our life that sometimes we don't even realize. Right, sometimes we don't even pay attention. They surround us as much as they do. And for Greeks, although I believe this is probably true for all Orthodox, um, we have a tendency, even those Greeks who say, well, I'm not really a churchgoer and I'm not really like so, so attached. We've all got our, our icons. You'll get in the car of a friend or an uncle or somebody who doesn't really go to church and uh, whatever, whatever. They've got the icons in the car. They, they're, they've been such part of our lives since we were children um, that it is like having a family member protecting you or watching over you. Um, it's just, I, I don't think I even really thought about it that much, although Douglas John has got so many icons and he's always saying, oh, we need to bring this one in, we need to bring that one in. I don't think I really sat and thought about how much icons have just been a part of my everyday life since I was a child, and they continue to be part of my everyday life, and every Greek who walks into a room gets what that is, even if they don't have an Iconostasio, and even if they don't have a hundred icons they still get that when they're coming in. It's almost like being home. It's like being in a familiar space. It's like a connection to the other people who are there that have the icons. It's, it's links all of us in one way or another. Definitely. And you can have a connection to an icon. Someone else can have a connection to the same icon. And they can be completely different. And you can learn so much about each other as well when you're telling these stories and you're sharing these stories Mm -hmm. because they have a connection and you have a connection and you guys can grow in your personal relationship because of these connections that were brought on by the same icon, the same saint, same story. True. Wow, that's that's really true because you look at an icon. St. John the Baptist is very important to Douglas John. We have a lot of St. John the Baptist everywhere. And of course, I was always conscious of the story of St. John the Baptist. But then I went on to relate to him in, in a different way. But it is still a connection between us. This is very true. And it does bring us closer as Orthodox Christians because it's, they're like our heroes. It's like looking at our heroes, people who have gone through, the Greek people went through so much throughout their history so much suffering and here are other people who went through so much suffering and as you said before they they went on they continued on it's like a setting an example for us their behavior and how they survived and something to cling on to sort of like a life raft when life is really getting difficult um you had also talked about uh how the icon is actually made there's a specific process. My understanding is that most iconographers fast and pray, or at least pray before they begin an icon, because this is a very special little journey that they're about to embark on. It's not just like sitting down and saying, oh, I'm going to paint a portrait of Georgia today. It's, they have to get into that sphere, into that life of that particular saint. How do they go about painting those icons? is a very intricate process first you need to make a like not paper but yeah paper sketch mm-hmm. of whatever you're going to paint then traditionally and usually they are made on wood with egg tempara which has to be applied on a hard surface because it will crack if it's not then they paint it 
usually with earth tones and natural minerals, dark colors first, and then they put the light colors because the dark colors and the natural minerals give transparency. And then the white background reflects light back through the tempara. And then it creates the effect of luminosity in the icon. And before you paint on the icon, it, used, it has to be prepped with a white background, usually like gesso, and it can be up to eight coats. And then when they're done, they have to varnish it, usually with boiled linseed oil. So, like, it's a very time-consuming, very intricate process. And that's not even talking about all the preparations you have to go through emotionally mm-hmm. and religiously before you start painting this icon. Mm-hmm. Because most people do fast, they pray, they go to classes. Even some people can go to confession or something before they do cause paint this because it's a very holy act. Mm-hmm. I have an aunt, she paints icons. And they, I've seen some of her stuff, and it's such a beautiful process. But it is also such a difficult and time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. Because as I draw a lot, And trying to create something so detailed and also how we talked about earlier in 2D Mm -hmm. is a very difficult thing. Because a lot of times when we do detail, we shade, we add curves, lines, line art. That stuff usually ends up making your drawing look a a little bit more lifelike, Mm -hmm. a little bit more 3D. And that's usually not the goal of an icon. Mm -hmm. So it is a very intricate process. There's a lot of practice that goes into it first. And there's a lot of talent that goes into each and every icon people make. Wow. And it sounds like that whole process must give it, in a way, depth, even though it is supposed to be two-dimensional. Because a lot of Orthodox will talk about being drawn in to the icon. Um, even though it's not a three-dimensional, we're, we're still sort of pulled in by the color, by the facial expressions by the eyes, by the stories that we know to associate with the icons. But I would think that would be emotionally exhausting because you're not only having to be so careful how to present this, but you also know it must be like painting Superman. It's like you, you want to get it right. You want to, you want to get the, the humbleness in there, yeah. but you also want to get the, the grandeur of the soul in there. And that it's so impressive to me because I think a lot of times we do take it for granted because we've grown up around it and because we're so used to them. But I think I'll be looking at them a little bit differently from now on. I also read, and I don't know if if you got into this with your research, the different things that appear in the icons with the saints that sort of let us know who they are. And I talked about St. Irene before, and I was looking at my icon after I read about it because I was like, yeah, I noticed the bending cypress trees. Yes, I, that's um, St. Irene Chrysophilandu, because yeah. there are two St. Irenes, and they're both portrayed, you know, differently. That the cypress trees are bending. Um, I, I didn't, I always wondered, why are these things bent? But I read about it now, and it's um, that the trees were bowing before her as she levitated, and a nun from the monastery where she had been an abbess witnessed it. And when I looked closely at the icon, there she was. There were the trees bowing with a, a bow tied on top of it because the nun tied a bow to try to prove it to the other nuns who apparently thought she was crazy. The bow was there, and you could see way, way, way 
I wouldn't say way, way in the background because the perspective is not there, but there's just a little church door in the background. You can see this little female peeking through, and that was the nun that witnessed it. So the whole story is right there, and I had not even been. I, I associated, okay, St. Irene was in this part of my life, but I never bothered to go back and find what all these little details within the icon meant. I really wasn't paying sufficient attention. But now I did because of you, Georgia. So thank you. Are there any of those sorts of representations that, that you wanted to bring up? Um, not as much, but I do think it is very important to notice those things because especially when they're making the icons, jumping back to that really quick, mm -hmm. the amount of research you have to do on that saint and that story mm. to not just get the saint right, but to get the scenery, their story, and to bring justice to that life. Mm -hmm is a very, again, emotionally exhausting process. Right. So I think it's also really important to highlight that because it is such a, such a detailed process. And for that person to not just paint that big picture of St. Irene, but to also go and paint those tiny little details that you might not even notice at first glance mm -hmm. is very important that they're acknowledging the whole story. And the right saint. Yeah. And there are often multiple saints with the same name. And this is how we differentiate. So, yeah, paying attention is a good thing. And it's, it actually it's, it was very exciting for me when you started bringing up these points in your speech for me then to go run in to the Iconostasi and say, oh, yeah, like, this is what George was talking about. That was exciting to me because I felt like my, my understanding of my faith and my appreciation of not just my faith, but also the icons and what they represent is getting deeper now. And you were the impetus behind that. And I love that. This is why our youth are so important, because sometimes they know better than we do what we're talking about. You brought up that sort of visual stimulation mini science lesson earlier. And I sort of wanted to reemphasize that because non-Orthodox can be a little weirded out. Um, I've had like workers come into the house and the Iconostasi is there and then sort of like look like, oh, you know, what's happening here? And in order for people who are not Orthodox to understand how and why they're so important, part of that is the visual stimulation. You went into the science of it and how our brains activate certain ways by things that we see um, as opposed to things that we just read. I mean, mankind has been looking at their surroundings a lot longer than they've been reading about it. So this goes back to our earliest selves and how we, we view things and how we see things. And that, I'm assuming, was how icons were initially developed to appeal to those senses uh, for people who perhaps had no other way of understanding the religion or I mean there weren't priests everywhere a lot of people were kind of on their own gathering in groups to try to follow the, the religion and I think it's also very important that we do bring up this science because I have talked to a lot of priests a lot of people deacons even um nuns and a lot of people in our religion believe that science goes against our religion, mm -hmm. but I believe it's quite on the contrary. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. you. It enhances our religion. It 
coincides with our religion. Mm-hmm. And it is really important that we talk about why in our brains these icons are so important because it's not just the emotional connection. There is a lot of science to it because, as I said before, when we do see these images, we process visual stimulation at lightning speed much faster than we do text. Mm -hmm. So when we look at these icons, we are now being enhanced and our religion is being brought to us so much faster Mm -hmm. than words can do. And we as humans, especially now in modern day, are very fast-paced. We have technology, we have all this stuff, and we like things very fast. Mm -hmm. And to see these icons and to immediately feel these rush of emotions is very important, especially for our youth, Mm -hmm. because it does give us something to look on and go, wow, like we have history. Mm -hmm. We have roots here that we might not talk about as much, but it's there. And I think that's really, really important for everyone in our religion, not just you. Mm -hmm. Agreed, agreed. And that, uh, I mean, science is a part of us. It's, this is how we've come as far as we we have come. I mean, we wouldn't be in this country. We wouldn't be... Uh, reading the Bible or the, the wonderful texts that we get from so many of our, our great teachers in the Orthodox Church, none of that would have existed without science, the printing press, inks, airplanes to bring the books around. I mean, science is a part of our everyday lives, and it's how you approach it and how you look at it and how you appreciate it. And I think that was a really important point to make. You'd also talked about the iconoclasts, those who were within our church, because I do, I have heard from several people the graven image argument. Well, you've got icons. Isn't that the image of, of these saints and you're praying to them? Isn't that idol worshiping? And um, when I'm done being offended, I don't, I don't always regroup sufficiently to really explain it to people. And I thought, um, that, that little bit of history, because there were members within our church many, many years ago who felt the same way, that these were graven images and they should not be worshipped and wanted to remove them from the churches. Well, quite simply, we don't worship them. And I think that's something that a lot of people forget. We are not worshipping these icons. Yes, we are praying. We're not even praying to the icons. We're praying to the saints that live in them. We're not praying to a picture, which is why that two-dimensional comment was so necessary, Mm -hmm. because it really does symbolize that we are not praying to any other person but the Lord. Mm -hmm. We are praying through them to grow our connection to the Lord. And I mean, the the iconoclast controversy was really, in simple terms, the dispute of the use of religious images in the Byzantine Empire. They believed that these icons wholly violated the Ten Commandments. But if you really, really look and see what we do with the icons in our church, it doesn't take much to realize it's not true. We don't believe in these saints that they are our God. Mm -hmm. We believe in them as helpers and servants of the Lord, same as us. Mm -hmm. And we pray through these saints to help 
grow our connection and our faith with the Lord. There is no point in our religion where we ever worship an icon or even a saint in general. There's really no point where we ever worship them. We may pray to them and we venerate them, but we do not worship them. It's showing the respect and asking for help in educating us and in guiding us. Um, Sort of like a guardian angel. Um, I lost my godfather when I was very young. I was very close to him. But from the icon that he gave me, it was important to me, and it was important to me to be able to pray there, and that was sort of a conduit for me to pray to God, to have my godfather and the saint represented in the icon to both give me the strength and help me to keep reaching. I think that's amazingly important. And because of the controversy in our own church, it was resolved. I mean, there was a lot of debate back and forth for, I think, over 100 years, right? So that, that came up in the religion, and it was all settled by a massive room full of bishops who discussed it and stated, no, we're not worshiping these images. We are worshiping God, and the saints that we look upon are the ones who are guiding us there through the examples of their lives, through their faith. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to discuss about the icons? Yes, the placement of the icons. I think that's also very important. Oh, yeah. Because, like, even if you look at our Iconostasion and our church head-on, mm-hmm. you find on the left side, Theodokos, which is mandatory in every church. And then you find the patron saint of our church, mm-hmm. which is also mandatory. And then the last two icons can really be anything. In our church, it's Archangel Michael and the other patron saint of the church, because don't forget, we have three patron saints, That's right. which is almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. It is not common in America or Greece. Right, we're a combined church. So they had to do a little bit of scrambling and figure out how they were going to fit yeah. three patron saints. But they made it work. And on the right side of Aragonastasian, you have Christ, mm-hmm. which is, again, mandatory. But then those three icons aren't. You could quite honestly have, you know, whatever on those three. We have St. John the Baptist, Archangel Gabriel, and St. Athanasius. And there's a lot of controversy with St. Athanasius. Really? Because Father Seraphim wanted something very similar to St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. And if you look at St. Nicholas and St. Athanasius, it is very difficult to determine the two. And I was asking Father George about this last night. They look so much alike. Because I couldn't figure out who he was. And he told me the reason was most Iconostasians actually have six icons. But having three patron saints, we had to create extra room. Mm -hmm. So the theme of our church iconography is the First Ecumenical Council. Since St. Constantine, Helen, and St. Nicholas have their involvement Mm -hmm. in the council, so St. Athanasios was very, you know, important in the First Ecumenical Council. So there was a reason behind why each icon is brought in. Mm -hmm. There's usually a theme. Like, even in our iconography, we have the 12 feast days. Mm -hmm. Yes. And not only are they the 12 feast days, but they also represent Christ's life. Mm -hmm. The story. So, 
you can really like do so much with it and you can walk into every church and it will always be a little bit different Mm -hmm. and i think that's super beautiful about you know where they're placed why we do what we do because when you look at it you'll just think oh like the icons are so beautiful a lot of the times you don't realize that there's an order a reason to everything that goes on with them And the, it's the personality of the church and the congregation is reflecting that just as your home at Conestacion was different from ours, depending on what different saints mean to the people involved and what theme or story they are trying to tell. I didn't realize that John the Baptist wasn't always on the Conestacion. Now I'm going to be paying extra attention every time I visit another church. He's very common because he is such an important saint in our faith. But in reality, and I did a lot of research because I had the same thought you did. It's like, he's in almost every church. Like, is he not mandatory? No. Technically, only the Theodokos, the patron saint, and Christ are the only mandatory icons that you will find on every Guanastacion. That blows my mind because that that I did not know. And you'll see it, like, especially when you go to Greece, Cyprus, whatever. The Iconostasion can range from four icons, or not four, but it can. Six icons, eight icons. Mm. We have eight icons. Yeah. So, really, it's so unique to each parish, each church, each story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something very important to touch on since we're talking so much about how icons are unique and they tell a story. Right. Our entire iconography, even our iconostasion, mm-hmm. it all tells a story. Right. That's uh, St. Nicholas Constantine and Helen Church in Roseland, New Jersey. And we do have the beautiful stories. I also love the way now uh, one, the latest icons that were put on are our patron saints. On one side, St. Constantine and Helen, it literally tells their story. And on the right side, um, we have the story of St. Nicholas and a couple of points on St. Nicholas I, I was not aware of. So I was looking at it and saying, well, this is the story. Now I have to look into it further and see exactly what happened. When you go into a, a, an Orthodox church, I'm going to say in this case a Greek Orthodox church because we're speaking from our own experiences, you can go in and sit in a pew and just look up, and I still do that, um, look up and look around, and you are reading the stories of the saints. You're reading the stories of Christ. You're reading the stories of Theotokos. Um, and it's, it's a very heartening reminder of why we're there. And we're surrounded by these stories, almost like a kind of a hug. Like we're surrounded by this. We're being educated. We're being comforted. We're being encouraged to look further. And I always find every time I really go and look at an icon, I'm curious about something. But I feel like I already have a better understanding of them because of what you've been explaining to us. And I think it's also, like, I remember when our church was beige walls. We didn't even have any Conestasio. Yeah, wow, I remember. And to watch this process come to life, from going no Conestasio to a beautiful Conestasio iconography, Mm -hmm. is so eye-opening. Because you see the process, the work, the dedication that goes into it. Mm -hmm. As well as, I feel like, my religion has been so much enhanced 
by these experiences. And I don't think I would have ever understood it nearly as much as I have if I hadn't had that presence of the iconography mm-hmm. in our church and in my life. So I think that's also like very, it was a very beautiful thing to watch. Right, and it was, it was very educational because instead of growing up in the church that you're used to and everything that you're looking at, you're used to, and maybe you're not paying as much attention, each time they would add to the iconography, we would walk in and we would be able to look at, here's something new. I haven't seen this particular in our church before. And then the priest would come out during a sermon and, and say, this is what's here now and explain what it was. So we were really being educated in a way that a lot of people who grew up in already established churches uh, were not. Um, I think we pay attention to some extent, but it's like walking into your bedroom. You're used to your bed being there and your dresser being here. You could do that in the dark. Now, every time we would walk in after the iconographer had been here, we were having a new experience entering the church. I mean, I grew up with the church. I was growing at the same time the icons were being placed and the Ocolosasio was being built. And I think I will always carry that with me, even if I ever move on to, you know, a different church, if I go to a different place in my life, I will carry that with me that I was able to watch a church grow Mm -hmm. as I grew. And I think it definitely altered my perspective in a way, Mm -hmm. because really every time we'd walk in and there'd be a new when the dome was painted, when the Agonastacion was put up, it was a new experience. Mm-hmm. And it brought, it opened my eyes a little bit more to the process and the work that goes into our church mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, it really is. You brought a lot of important things to mind. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that because the icon question has come up repeatedly in my life, my father's family is not Greek, and they were really questioning what these things were all over on my wall, that my mother was putting up on my wall. And the frustration of, of trying to impart that to someone, and I think you've done such a beautiful job of imparting it, not just to people who don't understand uh, icons and orthodoxy, but to those of us who are orthodox and who uh, maybe need to be shaken a little bit out of our complacency and remember how fortunate we are to have these things in our lives and to make sure that we pay attention and look at them that way. So I'm very grateful to you, Georgia, and I thank you so much for taking your time today to um, go over with us everything that uh, we need to know about icons. And really, thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share the knowledge that I have and that I learn so that other people too can have this knowledge and we can go around maybe understanding a little bit more about our faith than Mm -hmm. we did before. Excellent. And for those who are non-Orthodox, maybe having a little bit more insight into this minority religion, which seems to be a mystery to so many people. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you again to Georgia Dudalakis for taking time to sit down with us and talk about icons. I learned so much. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. I'm your host, Pamela Doherty-Wood. Our producer, photographer, and excellent post-production editor is Douglas John. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. 
Find Greek Like Me on Facebook and on Instagram at Greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yasas. Thank you.